Well, there are about five and a half hours left of uh, 2023, and I will be asleep in about three and a half hours. Uh, but uh, it's the last service, isn't it, of 2023? And at this time of year, people often look back, don't they? They look back at the, the big events of, uh, you know, the previous 12 months. And on this date in 1969, the big event people were looking back at was the moon landing. Because on July 20th, 1969, and Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, they, they walked on the moon. And uh, lots of people, maybe some of you can remember that. Uh, maybe some of you, that's etched into your minds, I don't know. But the, what the moon landing did was it made people feel like everything had changed. And of course, there was those famous words, wasn't there, from Neil Armstrong. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Well, in a way, I think um, Genesis chapter 12, it's all about, isn't it, one man taking a step and this step, this step that Abram takes, um, it's just like that, that famous saying, isn't it? Um, God call, as God calls Abram, as he takes that step, God promises to bless the whole of mankind. As he takes that step, everything in the story in the Bible it starts to change. And these verses, this uh, passage which we're looking at just as a kind of one-off this evening, these verses, they're, they're a new chapter in God's story of grace. What they do this evening for us is they teach us to trust God's promises as we follow God's call. Trust God's promises as we follow God's call. And tonight what I want to do, I want to draw out three things from this passage for us. And I want to apply them to, to our lives. First thing, as we think about this, a whole idea of God's call, I want us to think about the wonder of God's call. The wonder of God's call. It's often said, isn't it, that uh, timing is everything. And just look at the timing of God's call to Abram. If you know the, the early chapters of the Bible, you'll know it's a really messy picture. God's call to Abram, it comes after, I guess we could call it the triple disaster of uh, the fruit, the flood, uh, the, what we say, fortification. Uh, men and women had rejected their creator. They tried to be God. And chapter 11, verse 4 of Genesis is the spirit of the age. As they build the tower in Babel, well, what do they cry? They say, come, let us make a name for ourselves. And in one sense, Genesis 1 to 11, it's like a play in a beautiful theater that has just gone horribly wrong. None of the characters in this theater are willing to take the role given to them by the director. They're doing their own thing. They're making up their own lines. And it's a disaster. If you read Genesis 1 to 11, it gets darker and darker. And Abraham was like this. I think because uh, Abraham, he kind of becomes this great example to us of uh, faithfulness. I think it's very easy to think that Abraham was this kind of, I don't know, good guy who was just longing and waiting for God to tell him what to do. But the reality is quite the opposite. Abraham was busy worshipping the moon and enjoying his pension. 
And if you look back at uh, the section just before chapter 12, uh, you'll see reference made to Ur and, and to Haran. These were centers of lunar worship. And the names Milcah and Terah and, and Sarai that are mentioned at the end of chapter 11, they were connected to this false religion. And if you don't believe me, just listen to Joshua chapter 24. Listen to what is said there about this call, this incident. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abram and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. So Abram, this great hero of the faith, he began as an idolater. But that's not all, is it? Look at verse, look at verse 1. Maybe you've got a footnote in verse 1. Uh, the footnote indicates the Lord. It should, be, it should read, the Lord had said... And if you read in from the end of chapter 11, uh, you can see that it seems like this call kind of came in two parts. It seems like the call began uh, when the call came to them to begin with, to Abraham and his family. They, They only went part of the way. Look at verse 31 of chapter 11. When they came to Haran, they settled there. They stop. They, they like the look of the place. If you read the first verses of Acts chapter 7, you can do so later. Stephen recounts the story, and it's really clear. God called Abram before he was in Haran. He was called. But to start with, he only went part of the way. And I find this so encouraging. It's, it's so true to life, isn't it? It's so like you and me. Often, as believers, we take detours away from God. Lots of us will know what that feels like. Lots of us will have people in our family who are doing that right now. And at the end of Genesis 11, it's as if God's plans for the whole world, they've reached a dead end. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, there had been one kind of ray of hope in, in the story, as everything had gotten worse and worse and worse. And that ray of hope was the line of Seth. And this was the family that God had promised to bless after the fall. They were, they were chosen to keep the knowledge of the true God alive. And yet here they are, they're a bunch of idolaters. And Abram is in that line, and Abram is childless. And so at the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, it looks like it's game over. It looks like the candle is about to be snuffed out. God calls Abram when everything has gone wrong. And after the night of chapters 1 to 11, the sun, it starts to rise in chapter 12 as God calls him. And friends, this is so typical of the God of the Bible. God is always at work. God is always doing things when we don't expect him to be. God loves to work through people like Abraham. God loves to weave the lives of sinful people into his purposes. See, God has a dysfunctional family. 
God is a family that is full of people with all sorts of baggage. We often say that, don't we? We say, he's a guy, she's a person with baggage. Well, the church, God's people, we've got baggage, haven't we? God is often making plans to do incredible things, even when people in his family, people who are going to come into his family, are being disobedient. And God is still at work, even when his cause, even when his plans, even when his program seems to have come to a dead end, seems to have paused. Maybe you've gone for a job interview and maybe you've been lucky enough to hear someone say to you, we could use someone like you in our company. But the God of the Bible does the opposite of that, doesn't he? He loves to bring individuals into his family with really messy backgrounds. And it's just what Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Maybe tonight you're tempted to think that God is lucky to have you in his family. Maybe much more likely, I think, uh, you feel the exact opposite. Maybe you feel like your life is falling apart. And maybe you look back on this year and there's a lot of failure. And maybe you think God must just be finished with you. Well, just look at his grace in the life of Abraham. Here's a God who can pick up people again, a God who can put them back on their feet, who can use you again. Here's a God who builds out of complete barrenness. Here's a God who loves to create something out of absolutely nothing. See, the God we meet in Genesis 12, it's the, he's the same God, isn't he, as the God we meet in Genesis 1. Here's a God in Genesis 12, full of stubborn grace, a God who rescues idolaters, idolaters just like us. Listen to Peter in his uh, first letter. He says this, he says, you have been redeemed from the empty way of life of your forefathers. And Abraham would say amen to that, wouldn't he? So as we look at this call, there is wonder to it. But that's not the only thing. As we look at this call, we also see a second thing. We see the challenge of it. The challenge of it. The wonder of it. And the challenge of it. Well, this doesn't happen very much today with our 24-hour news cycle. But there was a time, wasn't there, when you might be watching TV, like some TV program... And uh, suddenly an announcer would say, we interrupt our regular programming to bring you this news flash. Always sounds better with a kind of American accent, that, doesn't it? Suddenly there would be some big event on the screen. Well, God is like that. God often interrupts. God often messes with our plans. And Abraham must have felt this. There he was minding his own business. And all of a sudden, God picks him up. God calls him to play a role in his global purposes. Look what he says. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land 
that I will show you. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to think uh, of Bible characters like Abraham, especially, I think, I don't know what it is about the Old Testament, but sometimes I think this way. I think of them as kind of cartoonish figures. But Abraham was somebody he would have enjoyed, he would have lived in very comfortable conditions. He's clearly a wealthy man, isn't he? And if you go to the British Museum in London, you can see the kind of society that he would have lived in. It was very advanced. And if you read Genesis 1 to 11, it's really clear that he would have enjoyed all kinds of things. He would have had music in his life, no doubt. There would have been machinery. He would have had a metropolitan lifestyle. And God was calling him to leave all that behind. God was calling him to go from civilization to nothing. And it was incredibly radical. God was saying, go, leave, get out. Now let me make an embarrassing admission. I have an addiction to desert island discs. Okay? I know that makes me seem a lot older than hopefully I look. But uh, I love listening to Desert Island Discs. And not long ago, I, I heard, uh, I think it was Kirsty Young, interviewing a Canadian astronaut called Chris Hadfield. And on that program, what he described was, he described the experience of walking in space. And he spoke about the amazing moment he had the first time he did that, about opening the hatch and just gazing down at this tiny, beautiful planet below where everyone and everything he loved was safe and sound. He described looking back at the terrible, terrifying blackness behind him and the, the terrifying, the exhilarating experience of stepping out into the unknown. It's awful, isn't it? And God's call to Abram was just like that. And God was calling Abram to leave behind all that was familiar, all that was safe, all that was comfortable. And in particular, at his time, to leave his father's house, that would have been a really big deal. Uh, today, you and I, we do this all the time, don't we? We come, I don't know, we, go, we leave school, we go to university, that kind of thing. We leave home. Uh, very few adults live close to their extended family, but not in Abram's day. Um, in Abram's day, this would be incredibly radical. And he would have to trust God. He would have to rely on him. He would have to look to him. Just listen to how the author of Hebrews puts it. By faith, Abram, when called to go to a place he would receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Um, in our fellowship group uh, that Colin and I lead, we've, we've been studying the early chapters of Genesis. And uh, the guide was written by uh, Tim Keller. And listen to how he puts it. He says, Abram's life was... He says, Abram's life can be summed up as a series of calls from God that go like this. Go out. Where? I'll tell you later. Just go. You will have a son. When? I'll tell you later. Just trust. Now, offer up your son on the mountain. 
Why? I'll tell you later. Just climb. And the same is true for us, isn't it? As Christians, you and I, we follow in Abram's footsteps. We're called to live a life of faith. Just like Abram, we are, we are pilgrims. We're pilgrims on the way to a promised land. But what is this life of faith? What does it actually look like? Well, it's challenging, isn't it? It's a call to life devoted to God. Becoming a Christian means turning away from an old life. Turning away from that old life with God's help. It's a call to deny ourselves. It's a call to take up our cross to put him first. It's a call, as Paul says, in view of God's mercy, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. It's a life of worship. Isn't it interesting? That's what uh, Abram does in verse 7. He builds an altar. So it's a life of worship. It's also a life with enemies. Look at verse 6. The Canaanites were in the land. They would cause a whole lot of trouble later on. So following God's call for Abram, it did not mean that his life would be easy. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can be very pious, can't we? We can say things like, being in the center of God's will is the safest place to be. And that's true, isn't it? And yet you can be in the center of God's will and you can be surrounded, you can be faced with a whole lot of pain, a whole lot of difficulties and challenges. I think there's something so reassuring about that, isn't there? Christians often feel, we often feel like we're walking through a land of giants. We often want to run away. But Abram is a wonderful example to us this evening. You see, did you notice how the verses end? Look at verse 9. Abram journeyed on. Abram kept going. He, he plodded. Friends, plodding is success in the Christian life. Uh, another day living for him, another week at church, another year just serving him in home or in work, however faltering, that is no small thing. That is a miracle. And that is something that brings joy to him plodding on. Uh, George Mallory and Andrew Irvin, they're often considered the first men to have reached the top of Everest. I can't remember if I've used this illustration before, but during their 1924 expedition, almost 30 years before Everest was officially climbed, the George Mallory and Andrew Irvin, they, they disappeared from sight on the northeast ridge. And they never came home. And it was famously said of those two men that they were last seen heading for the summit. Last seen heading for the summit. It's a great phrase, isn't it? What about us this evening? What about us at the end of a year? Are we pulling back? Are we tempted to turn away from God? Are we still looking to the end? Are we looking forward to the summit? 
Are we looking forward to the new creation, to seeing God face to face? Or have we settled for less? Uh, Charles Simeon was a, a preacher a long time ago, but a very faithful man, and he had just retired after a, a really challenging, a fruitful ministry. And a friend of his was really surprised to discover that he was still getting up at the same time each morning to study God's word. I mean, you're retired. Like, why not just kind of sit back? And he encouraged Charles Simeon to relax. And Charles Simeon said this. He said, shall I not run with all my might? Now I see the end in view. Shall I not run with all my might? Now I see the end in view. Like a sprinter going down the, the final straight. And wouldn't, be that, wouldn't that be a great attitude for us to pray for one another? For perseverance. That we might endure as Christians. That we might be mature Christians. As we read this morning in Philippians, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. But there's a third thing in this passage uh, we see this evening. Not just the wonder of it, not just the challenge of it. Thirdly, finally, the power for it. The power for it. See, the great thing about uh, this call is that as Abraham receives it, he also receives great promises from God, doesn't he? I will make you a great nation. Verse 2, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And God is saying, these two old age pensioners, they're going to change the world. And yet God is the one who's going to do it. Look at the phrase, I will, I will, I will. There's such certainty to it. And look at verse 7. To your offspring, I will give this land. This is what one writer calls God's quad promise. He's, he's guaranteeing four things. He's guaranteeing a people, a place, a purpose. He's guaranteeing protection. And later on, he'd give even more assurance to Abraham, wouldn't he? He would, he would tell him his descendants would be like the sand, like the stars. And this is always the way God works. God, God's word prepares us for God's work. God never calls us to, to follow him without backing it up with massive reassurance. See, Christians, we're, we're people of the ear, aren't we? Not the eye. We walk by faith, not by sight. And yet, as we do, God gives us his promises every step of the way. And the power to live the Christian life, to follow God's call, it does not come from past experiences. It doesn't just come from our efforts. No, it comes from God's word, the Holy Spirit speaking to us, spurring us on, encouraging us. Listen to what Peter said in his second letter. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through his great and precious promises. And this is what Abram discovered. He was 
far from perfect, wasn't he, if you know his story? And yet he learned that God could be trusted. He learned that nothing could stop God's plans. When you uh, jump on the tube in London, there's, or jump off the tube in London, there's a, a, a thing that you hear over the, the kind of, uh, the announcer says something, doesn't he? He always says, mind the gap. Mind the gap. And in many ways, that's the Christian life, isn't it? Mind the gap. The gap between promise and reality. God has promised so many things for us as his people. And yet we're waiting for them. There's a gap. We're having to trust him. We're having to hold on to his word, even when life is hard. We're having to trust his plans. But just notice the scale of God's plan as we close. God doesn't just save Abram to be the head of a little family of faith. No, God has plans for the whole world. God wants to bless all nations. I love the title that Dale Roth Davis, he gives for this section. He calls it this. He says, God so loved the world that he sent Abram. And God's people are always blessed to be a blessing to the nations. One of the features of uh, communism in the 20th century was uh, the need for of that system. It was very, it was a very religious system. But one of the things that communism did was it demanded total conformity. It demanded uniformity. And in communist uh, countries, there was a sameness, there was a blandness about about things, about people. You saw it in the architecture. And buildings lacking creativity, just kind of box-like. But God is not like that. God loves variety. God loves creativity. God loves diversity. God loves people with different accents and backgrounds. And fast forward from Genesis 12 to... Revelation 21, well, what do you see? You see a great multitude. You see every tribe, every tongue, every nation, one day all there worshiping the Lord Jesus and worshiping the one who went out, worshiping the one who left his father's house, worshiping the one who came for us from heaven. He came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her for her life. He died. Christ went out into the wilderness. He went out into the darkness. He faced God's anger for you. It was the great expedition. It cost him everything. And he did it for you with a heart full of love. And that tonight, at the end of this year, that is someone worth following, isn't it? Our Lord Jesus. We could call him the true Abraham, couldn't we? The one who went out, the one who sought us into the wilderness, into the darkness, 
and full of love for us. And so let's follow him and let's pray.